God is doing something immensely powerful here in our community. And for those who are here on, a, on Wednesday morning at the pre-meeting, you would have heard a, a cry that came that was so, how would you describe it, Paul? Guttural. From the, from the innermost place that cried out for, for him. And we heard a, a snapshot of it again in the music this morning. And God really is welling up in us his heart, his passion, his love for himself and for one another. So it really is such an immense privilege to be part of it, to be in the room and to have what he's doing, not just being out there in this room, but in, inside this room right here that he really is building us into temples of the living God. He lives inside of us. That is the, the great mystery of the gospel, that Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days' time. And the people there were like, are you serious? You scrawny little, and you're going to come and destroy? No, not the temple that man made that destroy this temple and he'll raise up a temple of God, the true temple, the temple that he always intended, which was us as his people, with the spirit of God himself dwelling and living within us. That's the true temple. You are. You're it. It's you. There's no, there's no greater revelation. It's you are you are God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy possession. And so when we're looking at love, um, for those who haven't been here over the last um, number of weeks, we've been looking at, the, um, at 1 Corinthians and the love that is described throughout this, um, well, the 16 attributes, I think it is, of, of love that, that God describes and we've been talking about the divine nature of Abba, or the divine nature of the Father. And so the reason why we're talking about the divine nature is because love is the divine nature of God. So when you picture who God is and what he's like, you might think of miracles, signs and wonders, raising the dead, but actually the way that God defines the divine nature is love, it's joy, it's peace. It's goodness, it's gentleness, it's the fruits of the Spirit. It's a love that bears all things. It's a capacity and a life source within you that actually makes you like God on the inside, not just on the outside. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Um, we're up to a fantastic little passage, which is love bears all things. Love bears all things. Now, all of these attributes of love are distinctly divine. You, you won't be able to open up a dictionary and find a definition for love like this. You won't be able to flick on the TV, put on a DVD and watch Love Actually, and come into an understanding of what love really looks like. You won't be able to turn on the radio and hear a love song and hear what you're about to hear this morning or what you've been hearing for the last few weeks. Because love at its very core is divine. You know, it says in the Bible that God 
is love. Love isn't something that he does. Love is something that he is. And because he is, he does. And so now as for us looking at the divine nature of Abba, we're not looking at something that God is trying to coerce us to do. We're looking at who he's called us to become. And out of becoming love, we will do love. We'll do loving things. But it flows from a full place and a life source on the inside that actually has you living like Christ as opposed to just copying Christ. And so when we come to this little passage, you're welcome to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, um, which is a passage that we're looking at. Um, it's, this is a very small, only a few words. Love bears all things. Bearing all things. Now even that word, to bear, isn't really a word that you'd use that often in, in modern English, right? I mean, to be honest, we're probably more likely to think of loving, bearing all things as having a beer and feeling a bit more loving. Unfortunately, it's a different kind of beer. Terry, did you ha did you get those um, bullet points, mate, from the slides? Maybe not. Doesn't matter. Oh, there, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's a different kind of beer that we're going to be talking about this morning. But the most common time that you'd hear to bear all things. I don't know if anyone's ever heard this phrase before, this famous saying, to grin and bear it. Have you heard that before? To grin and bear it, to grit your teeth. And so I've just pulled the, different, the definition straight from the dictionary, and it means this. If you grin and bear it, you accept or tolerate something bad, such as a problem or pain, because you believe you cannot change it. And they give this example in the dictionary, just to give a bit of context. They say this, they say, In the past, a royal trapped in a loveless marriage would have been obligated to grin and bear it. That's our message for this morning, guys. Get on with it. You know? <laughs> Does that sound like the most depressing, like, is that really the kind of love that God wants us in? Or does he have greater and more magnificent plans for us than to just get by, to just grin and bear it, to just put on a face and get through, to tolerate what's going on around you? Because you can't do anything about the situation you're in. Life sucks. Get over it and move. Is that really the heartbeat of love? It's, this here is the most pitiful heartbreaking, weak, hopeless position I could possibly imagine. And yet in our modern society, to bear it means to tolerate it. It means to get on with it. But actually when God talks about this divine love, he's talking about something more than just gr gritting your teeth, grinning and bearing it. The word bear in the Greek is stego. Terry, if you're happy to um, flick to the slide, mate, that'd be great. Next slide. Stago. And it literally means this. It means to cover. Interesting. Does that sound distinctly different than to tolerate? To cover. In its literal sense, it means to place under a roof that's watertight, that has no holes, or to endure because of being shielded. Now, 
if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. That love, it doesn't say that love tolerates all things. It says, says that love bears all things. Love doesn't tolerate all things. Love covers all things. See, when you tolerate something, you stay the same, and the person that you're tolerating stays the same. But when you cover all things, you facilitate an environment for change and transformation. See, bearing all things is not a weak position. It's highly purposeful. It's intentional. It says that he bore our sins on the cross. He bore our sins on the cross so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, it doesn't say that he bore our sins on the cross or that he tolerated our sins on the cross, which, to be honest, is the modern-day version of the gospel. For God so tolerated the world that he sent his only son to cover you from your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. Actually, this is not the kind of covering that bears all things. Because it might forgive you. Did you know that you could be forgiven for your sins in the Old Testament? That's an Old Testament, an Old Covenant message. But So Jesus didn't come preaching a message of having your sins forgiven. He came preaching a message of the kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, change the way you think. There's something more at stake here. He didn't come just saying, let me forgive you for your sins so that you can stay the same, live the same, think the same, have the same attitudes, the same frustrations as everyone else. He says, repent because the kingdom is at hand. There's a new life source. There's a new capacity that I've come to bring that's in the spirit that won't just have you tolerating those around you, but will give you the capacity on the inside to be changed and to facilitate change, an environment of change for others. It really is a new message. It's a new life. It's a new gospel. It's a new covenant. That the kingdom truly would come and change us on the inside. So DNA, this really is about becoming love. It's about having a divine capacity within you. I'm going to talk about three things this morning. I'm going to talk about what this love looks like inside of you. I'm going to talk about what this love looks like towards others. And I'm going to talk about what this love looks like for a body. Is that cool? All right, so point number one. This is what this love looks like in you. I put here, when you bear all things, what is going on around you does not determine what is going on within you. You know, if I was to come up to you after the service and say, how are you? How would you respond? Oh, I've had such a hard day. The wife, the kids, the boss. Is that, would that be a, you know, a, a response at, at some point in your, in your day-to-day life? 
And yet the very fact that when we're asked how we are, we respond about what's been happening in our day shows that we haven't transitioned from being earthly to being heavenly. See, this is something much greater. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about the way that you think. Because if I ask you about what's in here, and you tell me about what's going on around out here, there's a disconnect, right? And so how often when, when we ask each other, how are you, do we respond, about, respond to the circumstances, the situations, which may have been absolutely fantastic, or they may have been completely and utterly diabolical, and at the very least, it would be appropriate to say something, you know, it would be appropriate to say, man, I'm not doing so well. That's an honest answer. But to point to your day as the reason why you're not okay, it simply highlights that you haven't transitioned from being in Adam to being in Christ. And so it's okay to say that you're not doing well, that you're struggling, that, you know, at least be honest about it. Because being honest, being vulnerable, gives you the opportunity to transition from that into something that's divine. Let that honesty and that vulnerability drive you to a divine life that you had never tasted of before. But not having seen what is available and what's possible, and identifying yourself in Adam and his nature, responding to the things going on around you, you've disqualified yourself from, having, from receiving a greater life that will have you living above the things of the earth. So now it's, it's been such a privilege to, to walk with people in the community who have been embodying this. And Paul, not to put you on the spot, but you know, over the last, over the last couple of weeks, I've had the, the immense privilege of hearing from a man who's gone through some challenging situations. But what I've heard coming out of him is a softness and a, a humility and a love for God that I, it's, it really is divine. And that is like a burning bush that people look at and see, why are you not burning up? Why, when everyone else is flapping around, are you solid as a rock? There's something simply divine about it. It's a light shining in a dark place. It's a testimony to a broken and hurting world that there is great hope in Christ. Not hope for the world to get better. Not hope for a better day. Not hope that Levi stops being so wriggly and active. Not hope that my boss thinks about me before she thinks about... I don't hope for that because I don't have that and I'm never going to have that as long as I live here on this earth. Earth is filled, life is filled with such tension and despair and heartache and strain and stress and, and it always will be. But, it, but the moment that that strain and that stress is inside of you, you've forfeited your right as a son to live from a divine nature that's supposed to be within you. You've become like the world. You've allowed the world to shape your thinking as opposed to the one who created the world who is supposed to live inside of you and does. 
So there's such opportunity for us as a church because we are the people on earth that God has divinely chosen to live this life. And we sing this song, it's your breath and our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. If you've got breath left in your lungs, you have an opportunity to receive this life within you and to live from it. You are not disqualified. As long as you have breath in your lungs. Because this is what he came to do. He came to die as us. The one and only, the the only begotten son, so that we could live as he lived. Now if you think that you can't for any other reason, you've missed the gospel. The only qualifying reason is because he came and died as you so that you could live as he is. And the only thing that will separate you from entering in or not is your thinking. And that's why Jesus came and said, repent, change the way that you think, because today is a new day. There's a new life available that you don't know of yet, but you can and you will if you would choose to soften your heart and to choose his word above your own brokenness and your own life and allow him to come and do a work within you. Jesus says in John ten eighteen, Jesus, the one who out of any person on the face of this earth went through the most pain and suffering for no fault of his own. The cross was the greatest injustice known to mankind because Jesus was the, was the only person who had never sinned. He was the only person who had never contributed to the brokenness of mankind, and yet he was the one who bore the brunt of men's, I don't know how you'd even call it, selfishness, and he took that upon himself. And he says this, he says, no one has, uh, talking about his own life, he says, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So the cross was not an accident. It wasn't an accident. Excuse me. It was foretold before the foundations of the world. And Jesus, in seeing this heavenly perspective, this higher calling, was able to say, no one takes my life away from you, uh, from me. So I could say, who takes your life away from you? Do the things going on around you take away from what God has called you into? Do they have that authority in your life? Do they own you? Are you submitted and surrendered to them? Or are you submitted to the one who has, says to you, has said to you that you can be like him, that you can live like him? Who, who are you submitting to? Whose voice are you listening to? Because he, he says, I've got the authority to lay it down and I've also got the authority to take it up. Now he says, could I not just send down ten legions of angels? 
This is just before he goes to the cross. Could I not just send down and destroy them all? He could, absolutely. But he chooses to lay himself down. Why? Because he bears all things. He bears all things and he chooses and he chose to lay his life down for you. Not just so that you would be able to be forgiven from your sins and go to heaven when you die. He beared the cross. Now, think about the definition of bear. He beared the cross to create for us an opportunity to become like him, to cover us from sin. Just like the Israelites in, um, in Egypt were covered by, from sin by the blood of the lamb on the door frames of the houses, they were covered. But they were also covered by a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke in the wilderness as, they, as he took them out from slavery, slavery and into a promised land. They were covered. And see, we talk about covering as blood of the lamb on the door frames of the houses, which it was. But the covering had an ultimate purpose, which was to not just bring them out from, but bring them into that's as much of a covering as the first one. See, it's always two part. Out from and into. See, for Jesus, it was a joy to go to the cross because of the hope set before him. It was a joy. Is it a joy to go through what you go through? Are you filled with joy? Is there a joy that wells up on the inside as you go through the trials and struggles of life? If there's not, today's your lucky day. Because in a moment you can repent. Now that work has so many connotations, but let me tell you, we could substitute the word with its life to you. It's your very transformation. It's the very opportunity to receive in you the divine nature of our Father. Maybe for the first time but it will hinge on your repentance. And I pray this morning that you would hear a word that forces you on the inside to repent, that you would respond in a way that you say, man, I am sick and tired of living the way that I've been living, and I am so hungry for a greater life, a divine life, a life that will have me living above the earth so that you can truly and genuinely serve those who are on the earth. going to have to start getting a move on. That's not even point one. So what does this love look like in you? Love bears all things. Love doesn't tolerate all things, but love bears all things. Now, remember when we were talking about the definition of what it means to bear. It talks about a, a house where the roof is watertight. And now we've got, um, down the end of our driveway, there's four of us houses, and um, we're all doing renovations, three in particular, and the guy that lives across from us, um, he's a really lovely young guy, a couple of years younger than us, and it's his first house that he's bought. And every, almost for a time, it was almost every evening and every weekend, him and all of his mates were working on this house. He's a mechanic, and he 
um, wanted to do things a cheap way, so he's fixing friends' cars so that his builder friends can come in and work on his house with him. <laughs> That's a lot of cars to fix, but um, he, he's rolling that way. He is working day and night on this house, and he um, did things the hard way, so he completely took all the jib off all of his walls, put insulation in, re-jibbed, re-plastered, repainted, and then finally carpet goes down and it's all good. Next minute, his ceiling explodes. <laughs> Why? Because the roof was leaking and there was water that was coming in that he didn't know about, catching in the ceiling and his new house is no longer new. <laughs> Why? Why? Because it wasn't covered. Because it wasn't watertight. Because the roof couldn't bear all things. What is it? Something from the outside had come in and influenced something that was on the inside. You know, it says this. I think it's Hebrews. It says, Do not come short of the grace of God. Let no root of bitterness inside of you spring up and by it defile many. Don't let, it, don't let this root of bitterness defile many, including, firstly, yourself. Why? Because when that bitterness has come up, it defiles you. It takes you out of where he would have you for your own transformation. And then that same thing that has defiled you, if that's not if that's not cast if it comes in and it doesn't get out, all of a sudden it's not just you that's defiled because when you go and have your little coffee date with your friends and you chit chatter away, all of a sudden, with probably without even meaning to, that same bitterness comes comes out and all of a sudden two are defiled. And then those two people just happen to mention it in a conversation with someone else and then five are defiled, and all of a sudden this thing spreads. Paul talks about it being like gangrene in the context of the church. And the things that he's addressing aren't actually even little gossip-level conversations. Those things are dangerous, but he, in, in this context, he's talking about the, the chit-chatter about church leadership and what's going on in the body, and someone hurts someone and all of a sudden you've just defiled a leader or a discipleship group leader or whoever it was, and this thing spreads like cancer. Why? Because in the first instance, love wasn't able to bear all things. It wasn't watertight. It, the thing that came penetrated on the inside and it went to work in the wrong way. See, this thing here, there's supposed to be a work that's going on. There's supposed to be growth in here, but not from that thing. See, this is a fertile soil. It's either going to be fertile for, for gossip and frustration and bitterness, or it's going to be fertile for love and peace and joy, the very fruits of the Spirit that are live inside of us. See, you can't have two people living in the same house. Demonic mindsets, attitudes, and thinking, and the King of Kings, the living God, so one of them's got to be cast out. 
And when in this situation, when one person has been defiled, that will only go on as long as that people's hearts allow the bitterness to take root. But what if you had a capacity on the inside, a love that was able to bear all things, a love that didn't allow in what wasn't supposed to be there, and a love that was committed to covering and creating an environment for growth and transformation? What would happen if that exact same offense came up in a coffee date? What would it look like to cover? What would it look like to say, Actually, that's not how I see that person. Actually, that's not how I see the situation. And the love is stopped dead. Uh, Sorry, the the offense is stopped dead in its tracks. It's a watertight roof. This goes no further. Why? Because love bears all things. Love sees the potential in people that even while you've been hurt, it might have even been a right. It might have even been legitimate. But love refuses to see that bitterness and take it into itself and allow it to defile others. It stops right here. And so this is, this is the, the love and the intentionality that we're to come into. That in all of our conversations, if you hear something that is not of him, you say, no, that stops with me. I, you don't literally say that with your lips. But in your heart, you, you shut down the, the potential for something to spread that is demonic. And what is demonic is not necessarily like what we would call gossip or chit-chat. What is demonic can be another way of thinking, another Christ, another option other than what you've been hearing, which is that death leads to life. Hey, let me tell you about another way. See, this is what was going on in the church that Paul was addressing. It was a gangrene, but it wasn't gossip gangrene. There were other opinions and other perspectives. There were other prophets. There were other teachers talking about another way that was spreading like wildfire and defiling many. So this thing is multi-layered. Um, but the, the point of it is what he's doing in us is that he's maturing a love that can bear all things. A love that sees the potential in others. And when someone comes with an offense, it's able to say, no, I see the potential in that person. And I'm committed to creating an environment in our conversation for you to grow, to let go of your bitterness. And I'm creating the, an environment for the other person to have the opportunity to enter into a greater life that they may not have been in. And it shuts it down. It leaves it null and void. Why? Because love bears all things. See, if you tolerate all things, you're not able to do that. You'll take it in. You might not even know at the time. You'll take it in. It'll brew. And then all of a sudden, it'll explode like my friend's roof. But when love bears all things, it doesn't, it doesn't take it and it stops right here. And it gives that person the opportunity to grow, to mature, and to be all that they're called to be. Hello. All right. Next point, Terry. Thank you, my friend. All right. What this love looks like towards others. So I put here point number two. When you bear all things, you create an environment for transformation and growth in others. 
Now, just because you're not offended by other people doesn't mean that you're a doormat and you get walked over by everyone else's stuff. Just because you have the capacity to bear doesn't mean that you just willy-nilly accept that everything that's going on around you is okay. So like I said, to bear all things isn't, I just talked about one side of it, the capacity, the love on the inside. The second point is that this is not just about you, this is about others. And bearing all things is not just reactive. It's not just about the way that you or responsive, the way that you respond to the situation. Bearing all things is proactive. It goes beyond, it provides opportunity for other people to enter into everything that he has for them. See, bearing all things looks like Jesus being able to be nailed to the cross without a word. But bearing all things also looks like creating healthy discipline in your home and in your relationships that doesn't tolerate certain kinds of behavior. Can those two things coexist? Absolutely. So, two examples. Firstly, Jesus. There's a scenario where this woman is caught in adultery. And they drag her before him. And the Pharisees want to stone her to death because of this great sin that she's committed. And Jesus says these words. He says, He among you who has no sin be the first to cast a stone. Why? Because he's bearing all things. But then he says to her, Now, go and sin no more. He bears. He covers why? He just created an opportunity for her. He spared her life. He covered, not just reactively, he who has no sin, going be the first to cast a stone. He covers proactively now. Now. Now that you've been set free. Now that you've received this grace, go and sin no more. Another example, maybe a... Um, a less well-known example you might actually want to turn here. It's in First Samuel chapter 2. Is everyone all right? Am I getting too intense for Sunday morning? Hopefully not. First Samuel chapter 2. Now let me just read this out. If you're starting to fall asleep, can I just ask you, just perk yourself up right now. Tune in, get your tardingers going, and actually just listen, just listen to the words of the scripture, okay? Don't switch off. All right, verse number 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people... When any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was being boiled with three with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork, uh, the, the fork brought up to the priest, he would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So you might be thinking, 
Um, sorry, what did you just say? Um, so to paraphrase, Eli has these sons, and Eli is a priest, and his sons are pretty much, it's like they've grown up in a church community. And there would be a, a sacrifice, and an offering that would come from the people to God. And the priests would be working this, the sacrifice, and Eli's sons would come, and they would steal the offering that the people gave to God and take them for themselves. They would even use force if they needed to to manhandle these people and get the offering out of, out of them. It's kind of like the offering buckets are going around. Every week they're deliberately placed at the end of the aisle, and instead of putting the money in, they're taking the money out. This is Eli's sons. These are the pastor's kids. Following on in the next chapter, the sons are out in the doorway to the tent of meeting. And it says that they are laying with the woman as they come into the tent of meeting. For the sake of young people, I won't necessarily need to go into what laying with the young woman looked like. But you get the picture. These guys were off the rails. These are the pastor's kids. Sorry, sorry. All right. Sorry, this is, I'm not, I don't even think about it. Sorry, pastor's kids. All right, that's a bit embarrassing. All right, come back, come back. All right. These are the elders' kids. Oh, dear. <laughs> Levi, all right. These are the elders' kids. My goodness, these kids are off the rails. Tess, got to rein it in. But this, uh, but in the next chapter, we see this confrontation. And so you might know the story of Samuel. And when Samuel was called by God, God's initial calling of him was to bring a word of judgment to the priest Eli who let me read these words. For I have told him that I'm about to judge his house, Eli's house, forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons bore a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Interesting. So God is holding Eli responsible for his kids' behavior? No, of course not. No one can be responsible for someone else's actions, decisions. No. God held Eli responsible because he had a love that tolerated, but he didn't have a love that covered. He allowed his sons to continue going on and behaving the way that they were behaving, and he did not rebuke them, it says. Now, when love bears all things... Sometimes it will let certain kinds of behavior slide. But bearing all things also looks like creating an opportunity for growth and transformation. See, Eli tolerated the behavior of his sons, but he didn't cover it. He, did, he didn't have the capacity within him to bear all things. Now, God didn't hold him responsibility for someone else's behavior. He held him responsibility for his own his own behavior, his own responsibility, his own capacity. Why? Because as a priest, he was supposed to be bearing all things, not just reactively, not just, not, it wasn't just the fact that his sons drove him up the wall. 
But bearing all things in this instance needed to be proactive. He needed to create an environment in his home for transformation and growth, healthy discipline. So a love that bears all things is more than just a love that aimlessly covers and lets go of. Now this is the very heartbeat of the gospel, that God would come and forgive our sins. Why? So that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. He's come not just to cover over us and say that everything's okay, just continue living the way that you're living. No. He's come to do that, to cover in that way, so that he can cover in a much more proactive way, so that he can put his life inside of you, so that he can give you the, the environment for your own growth where you're not going to be smited for doing something wrong. His grace covers so that his grace can empower his grace doesn't tolerate and allow the behavior to stay the same. His grace bears all things, hoping, praying, expecting, believing. Where was that kind of divine love in, 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 um, in Eli's family and in his own household? Now, every one of us has people that we walk with, that we have the opportunity to model this kind of love to. It's not just about parents towards their children. It's a typology for all of our relationships. It might be a brother or sister. It might be a friend. It might be our discipleship group. Are we bold enough and courageous enough to create environments in our discussion and our conversations where there can be um, healthy discipline and love and urging one another on to the high call and acknowledging when things aren't divine and inspiring one another to enter into what it truly is. That is a love that bears all things. It's both responsive, but it's also highly proactive. This is what love bearing all things looks like in a body. might just save the next half for another time because I feel like there's plenty in there for us to to wrestle with. But I just would like to pray and I would like all of us to, to pray and respond in, in our own way. And really, if there's something here that, that you've heard, if there's a divine life that you've heard of that you want, let me tell you, it is absolutely available for you through repentance. There's, there's not many ways, there's one way, and it will require something of you to truly let go of who you thought you were called to be and believe who he says that you are to be in him. So Father, I pray for this kind of response for us as your body. Father, I pray that your living word will come and it really would pierce and divide it would separate our soul from our spirit. It would separate our thinking from just being okay with the status quo and just being like everyone else, from responding to the world just like everyone else responds. Father, I pray for a greater capacity, hunger, thirst, 
that motivates us to lay hold of everything that you've called us for. Father, let us not settle for a life that's earthly, natural, and demonic, you say, Father, but for that which is heavenly, eternal, true, real, a firm foundation in an age and in a world that really is perishing. Father, I pray that we would be watertight as the flood continues to come and is going to be coming more. Father, build in us a capacity to withstand and not just withstand, to thrive in adversity, to bear up under pressure, Father, to cover one another in a love that really is heavenly. Father, hoping all things, providing every opportunity for each other to enter into life. So, Father, we just pray this in the awesome and powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.